Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Jasmine Star Show. My guest today is Anna Gifty, and man, this amazing woman is a firecracker and a brilliant mind, and I cannot wait for you to love her as much as I do. Y'all, she was an alum from Harvard University, where she was a visiting student and research scholar in economics, and the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, where she received her Bachelor's of Arts in Mathematics and a minor in Econ. Yo, I know, I know. She sounds like a bookworm. And she is, but she's a heck of a lot more fun too. And just in case that wasn't enough, Anna is an emerging researcher, entrepreneur, and speaker. And the girl is a writer from Ghana and now Marilyn. She's one of the co-founders of the Sadie Collective, the only nonprofit organization addressing the pipeline and pathway problem for black women in economics, finance, and policy. And hey, even if you're not black, you will enjoy her powerful insights for women in finance, period. And if you're listening and you are not black and you are not a woman, you can continue to listen so you can get a front row seat to becoming an ally and learning from her powerful insights that will benefit you overall. Okay, I feel like I'm like, let me catch my breath. <laughs> Right? I mean, I am just on fire for this woman. In 2020, Anna became the youngest recipient for the Women's Rights Award by the UN Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. Okay, in this conversation, we're going to talk about creating community, carving a place for yourself in society, even if the doors might have been closed to you or if people in the room look nothing like you, and a lot more. Y'all, inclusion and love and support and brilliance and economics and freedom and finance. Okay, I cannot wait for you to hear it all. Here is my conversation with Anna. Friends, I am so excited. And yes, I always start these conversations by saying so excited. But in this case, let's add a bunch of O's at the end because the queen who we are about to debut is going to break down and have a conversation that some people are cooling down to have. And some people are like, oh, skirt. I'm not sure if that conversation is for me. I am here to change your mind, change your heart. And if you're already here for the party, I'm just going to buttress it and clap that on up. What we have here are conversations about life, business, and everything on the in-between. And the in-between today is we're going to be talking about being a woman, being black, economics. We're just going to break it down. Y'all, today we're going to have one of the smartest episodes we've ever had. Before I get there, I have to welcome kindly... Miss Anna Gibley, how are you? Woo! I am so well. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for having me here. It's it's such an honor. I'm so, so grateful for this opportunity. Uh, thank you. Thank you for taking time. You know, I always say that the most valuable thing that we own as humans is mm. time. And so any mm. any time that somebody can share with their most valuable asset with me and with this audience is something I don't take lightly. Actually... I know you're going to think I take it lightly because I'm going to get into like a game. I've never done this before on the podcast, but I'm like, I've been creeping on your Instagram for a hot minute. I just have a feeling you will be down to play uh, this, this little game because I want to get the audience warmed up. I want them to get to know you. Sure. Are you cool? Okay. It's going to be a flash yes. fire round of quick questions for your quick answers. Are we ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. There's only like six or there's seven. I don't know how to count. Okay. Um, I was homeschooled. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. Ooh. The Bachelor. Give me all the roses. You can keep them fake roses. You can keep them fake roses. Okay. They messy. They messy, y'all. Okay. I love this. Okay. So, New Year's Eve. Do you stay up till midnight? Yes or no? I do stay up till midnight, usually like pondering life. 
<laughs> okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. Are you more likely th- to be the person who is first to the party or the last one to leave? First. <laughs> Same here. We're the nerds unite. Nerds unite. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Okay. So do you think you speak more or listen more? Oh, I speak more. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You're at the right place. Uh, second to last one. Would you say you're controversial? Depends on who you ask. Um, oh. I just put out some hot takes that people, you know, I ruffle a little bit of feathers amongst those who are in power because um, I challenge power a lot. So, you know, depending on who you ask, I'm controversial. I think I'm pretty tame, though. To be honest. Uh, oh, girl. Oh, we can. Okay, this is great. I'm asking these questions because then the audience gets to decide. Like, oh. number one, is Anna controversial? And two, if she is, are you on her side? Okay, last question. What is the greatest way to make an impact if you don't have a large social following, a fancy mm-hmm. diploma, or a massively successful business, in your opinion? What is the greatest way to make an impact? I think, you know, investing in the next generation. So, you know, mm. picking somebody young around you and saying, I'm going to take a chance on you and I'm going to mentor you and give you the resources that you need to succeed. Oh, okay, that's good. Because <laughs> it's like, you led me right into like my next question. Because yeah. I believe the work that you are doing is powerful. But before we actually get into the Sadie Collective and its purpose in the world, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Yeah, you know, God is good, honestly. Um, I think for me, the way I got here was really by divine providence, to be honest. You know, I I would say in terms of my career, and I think that's what we're going to really talk about today, mm-hmm. I felt a conviction to change my major um, in the middle of sort of my degree. And it made sense to no one, including myself. Um, but that change is literally what birthed the Sadie Collective. It's what birthed a lot of the initiatives that I'm working on today. And I would say that, you know, the grounding of my parents, my family, my support circle, um, especially this woman that I think everybody should follow right now. Her name is Cephalina Amache. She was sort of my lifeline when I was coming through college, really kind of put me in a place where I could receive sort of this success that I've been able to see in this last season. Um, But it definitely wasn't you know, without the lows and the very, very lows um, and without tearful nights and, and prayerful mornings. So, you know, that's sort of how I've been able to navigate this space so, so far. So what were you studying before that you switched to? I was studying biology, y'all. Um, okay. Actually, let me, let me keep it real. I actually studied business at one university and I left after a semester because I had hit like a really horrible low. I was very depressed. And I, I needed to get out of that environment. And so when I pivoted into the university, I ended up um, sort of graduating from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. I was majoring in biology at the time. I'm from Ghana, y'all. Um, if you are an African immigrant or an immigrant of any kind, you know that medicine is your parents' dream. It's stability. <laughs> of course, girl. Of course. That was like, I was like, I don't know what I want to do right now. And I did know that I didn't want to be a consultant. Um, ironically, that's kind of what I'm doing right now, but you know, like I didn't want to be a consultant. And so I wanted to have something that would maybe have a little bit more meaning than that. And so for me, um, biology seemed to make the most sense, but I hated it a lot. And so what I ended up pivoting into was math. And that was really after having this encounter with sort of data and numbers in a way that I hadn't had before. And it really inspired me to say, how can I use these numbers and data to tell stories about 
the world, especially through the lens of black people. So yeah. Okay. So that actually, this is like completely off script, but like I'm a born storyteller, right? So I'm picturing, you know, I'm picturing the dark spot. I'm picturing the pivoting to university of Maryland. I am picturing you in biology. And then I'm picturing this beautiful black girl who decides to go into, I am assuming a not black discipline. Like, did you walk into a room and you are the only black woman in the room? You know, I've been blessed in that the University of Maryland, Baltimore County is a pretty diverse school. So there was at least one other black person in the room, but I've definitely been in rooms where I'll say this. There was a conversation I had with somebody right after I majored in math, um, right after I declared my major. And what they said was, Anna, you don't look like somebody who majors in math. And I was like, what does that mean? And they were like, well, you know, and I was like, well, I don't, <laughs> you know, like, how do you, can you kind of clear it up? And the person really stumbled over their words. And so in terms of encounters with being the only one, I've had encounters with people who believe that I shouldn't even be in the room in the first place, right? So I had an advisor at one point who, you know, I was interested in getting um, a PhD in economics or something related to that. And I'm still interested in that. And he, he kind of looked at me. He didn't know anything about my major. He didn't know anything about my background. All he knew was that I was a black girl in his his office. And he was like, ah. so I me up and he was like, I think you would do best with the masters. I don't think you should shoot for the PhD. It's like super hard. Like, do you know how hard it is? And I was like, you know, you don't know me. So I know you're not looking out for me, right? So this is sort of your bias coming through in a way that's kind of egregious. And I later found out that he had actually done similar sort of interactions with other black women and other folks who are of marginalized populations. So again, I think for me, that's really kind of what ignites me to say, hey, I'm going to say something about this because I don't want my colleagues to be trash and I don't want the next generation to suffer through what I just suffered. Yeah. So what we're talking about, I mean, so here's the thing. I'm going to assume that our listeners are falling into, I'm sure a myriad of camps, but two large camps like, oh, I've been there. I've experienced this. I get what she's saying. And then there's other people who are like, but like, really? Is this really how it is? So some people can look at that and, and, and say, I disagree, or is it really like that? And to those people, like, how do you respond specifically as like a woman? We're going to be talking about econ, we're getting all through this, but it's like, I just kind of want to start, like somebody once told me that in order to be for a group of people, mm-hmm. you have to not be for some people. So right now in this podcast, I understand that if I'm going to be standing up and vocalizing, sharing the platform with a voices that might be underrepresented, there's going to be some people who are like, I'm just not about that. Yeah. I'm putting a stake in the ground. But my question to you is, do you ever feel like the dichotomy? Do you ever feel like it's difficult? Do you ever feel like you're in these situations? Like, or is it like, no, I was born to do this. This is the thing that I know. Oh, I see. Um, I don't think anybody ever feels like they were born to deal with adversity, right? A lot of us like things to be easy. And I would say in my case, I was shaped into dealing with adversity and dealing with being the only one. So, you know, growing up, I was part of a pretty diverse neighborhood. I live in subsidized housing, right? And so, you know, for me, I was actually put in Head Start from the very beginning. Head Start is this government program, for those who don't know, that's for low-income working families and getting their children an education. Well, how old were you when you came to the States? I came when I was five months, according to my mom. So I'm basically first generation. Got it, yeah. So in Head Start, I was, you know, myself, right? Very kind of, I'm a boss, kind of very forthright, 
raising my hand all over the place, that sort of thing. And apparently the county took notice and they picked me and put me into a private school that was just beginning. And that was my first encounter of being the only one at the age of five, right? Where I was the only black girl in my entire elementary school and remained as such and eventually became the only black, like the first black person to graduate from said school, right? And that school is a wonderful environment, but I was acutely aware of my blackness, acutely aware of my other othering or, you know, who I was as a person. And so, you know, when people look at me and they say, oh, how does she understand this diversity stuff? Or how does she understand what it means to be like marginalized or be, you know, one of the only people in the pipeline? I've lived it for like my entire life, right? <laughs> you know, mm. being the only one from the age of five through, I would say, honestly, the age of, you know, 18 or 19 when I was getting ready to go to college, right? Um, this idea of whether or not you believe it, well, quite frankly, the data does not support that claim. <laughs> you know, mm. so there's a lot of data that shows that Black women are oftentimes the only ones in these types of careers, um, and you know, it's really sort of a systemic issue that draws from racism, sexism, and everything in between, and how those things interact with each other and with power to suppress a specific group, Black women, from getting opportunities in these fields, even though they are entitled to them. And so, I think for me, it's kind of like I'm, I've been prepared for this because of my life experiences. And I think I'm uniquely equipped at this moment to speak truth to power because I've actually lived that truth. Mm, okay. So uh, <laughs> we're going to get, you, you spoke about data. It's going to be like leading. It's like, it's like, girl, you're like leading me right to like the oh, next really? question, the I next question. It. it was, it was like, we had this all planned. It's all divine. I love this. I love this. So I kind of just want to pause here again. And I want people to note that like, even if you are not a woman and even if you're not black, these conversations are so good to have because it just makes you aware. Awareness is a game changer. And one of the things that you had wrote, if you don't mind me reading, was from a Instagram post. You had said, do you know that last year, 50,000 white men majored in quantitative fields as compared to less than 5,000 black women? It turns out that the lack of black women we see in corporate leadership can be explained partially by the pipeline. Black women are severely underrepresented in econ, finance, accounting, and math. And these majors are fields that corporate values greatly. Think about Wall Street, the stock market, and everything in between. What is even worse is that black women make up only 2.5% of the career fields as compared to white men and women who make up checks her watch, roughly 70% in these fields. Okay, so we talked about data. We talked about stuff like this. And these are some pretty powerful statistics. Um, I think it sets the foundation also for the conversation. Um, Can you explain what you mean by a pipeline problem? And can you explain this to me like I'm five? Yeah. So the way to think about a pipeline problem is, you know, think about somebody who wants to go and do a specific career, right? So let's say I want to be go, I want to go ahead and become a lawyer. There's different steps that I need to take to get to that path. And the idea is that, you know, hopefully because I have my self-determination, because I have the resources, I'll be able to get through the path successfully without really any huge hurdles, right, that are systemically built in. So when we talk about a pipeline problem, the idea is if we're looking at this example of me being a lawyer and kind of going through the pipeline to get to that career in law, it's saying that the steps that I have to take, there are sort of barriers and obstacles that are unique to me because of who I am and because of what group I fall into. 
So, you know, for Black women, what we're finding, at least in the economics and more quantitative sciences field, is that, you know, Black women are underrepresented or underrecommended for math classes when they're in high school. And that even before that, they're seen as disruptive in the classroom. So this idea of, you know, I'm trying to get the training that I need to get to get to the, the kind of career that I want to go to, but I keep running into these obstacles, some of which I'm aware of, some of which I'm not aware of. So for example, with, you know, Black girls not being recommended for math classes, Black girls don't know if they're not being recommended for math classes. They just know that, you know, their teachers have said that, hey, you can't go and do this math class, but they don't know what, that there's some systemic bias that's actually baked into that, that's preventing them from doing that, right? And so forth. And so that's kind of how you think about a pipeline problem. Different obstacles are coming across um, your path because of who you are and who you choose to identify as. Mm, okay. So recently I read a statistic. Now we're talking here about math and we're talking about econ, but like taking a step back from like a business context is that on average for a white male having a startup business, he receives on average 1.2 million in funding, whereas black and brown women receive less than 40,000. And like, as a Latina, I felt like it was super important for me to have conversations around, well, wait, like awareness is good and it's a starting point, but what then do we do? Like if black girls don't know that they're getting into math class and if brown girls don't know that they can actually get funding, like, what do we do? Like people are listening like, okay, and but, but what? Like I'm here, I don't ha- I'm not even around a lot of black people or I'm not just gonna go up to a black girl in her high school and be like, are you in calculus? Like, what do we do? Right. Like, what is like the average person doing to be like, hey, I wanna change it? You keep the people around you accountable, period. So what that means is that, you know, if you see that bias playing out, you make sure that you nip it in the bud as best as you can, right? I understand that there's power dynamics within workplaces and, you know, sometimes you can feel intimidated by situations. But I think, honestly, that's what I've done. I, I, again, like a lot of this sort of newfound visibility really just came out of me saying, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. If you're going to say that you're going to do this, you're going to do it, right? And you're going to make sure you do it with excellence. And so I think it's a matter of saying, you know, if you see sort of these systemic problems happening right in your neighborhood, that you say, okay, how do I go about making sure that I align myself with that person um, so that they feel like they're empowered around me and that they can speak up for themselves, but then I also have the you know capability to also speak up for them when necessary, right? And so that's sort of when we talk about allyship, sponsorship. These are terms that are typically used to say, I'm not somebody who is of the marginalized group, but I have the capacity to say, hey, let me use the power that I have in my non-marginalized state to then empower you and give you the space to really shine. And so that's sort of what I would advise people to do. Look first within your, you know, your vicinity, your community. How do you empower the people around you? And then make sure that you're holding people in power accountable, because ultimately that's, this is really what it all boils down to. The people in power sort of uphold the biases that we have to be subjected to. And so unless we actually say something about it, even if it's at like the neighborhood level or your work level, they're going to continue regardless. And so it's really about speaking up when you can and making sure that you're heard. I love this. Okay. So I'm going to ask you in a second of like experiences where either you spoke up for somebody because you were in the position or somebody spoke up on behalf of you. I can say, because people are listening to me like, okay, but how? And so very two tactical things that happened this past week. As people are planning speaking events, I happen to have the luxury of speaking. And I had heard that somebody had reached out to me and she said, Jasmine, they're asking you to speak. And I declined because there wasn't enough women or black people at that event. 
if we band together, we can make it that we will do it as long as they bring in other representation. I was like, we can. It was like, it's the thing I want. And then all of a sudden you're caught in the, all of a sudden I did cross the threshold where I can be on that stage. What am I then going to do? It didn't even cross my mind. I'm embarrassed that it didn't cross my mind. When she had pointed out, I was like, together, yes. A second situation is like, there's small little pockets of what we call masterminds in the business world. And people are putting them together. And a girl came to me and she said, Jasmine, unfortunately, I'm not going to join that because there aren't any black people in that group. And I was like, me either. Like that is people just sticking up and being like, Hey, we are in the position to change it. Have you been in a position where you have spoken up or somebody has spoken up on your behalf? Because what I want people to do is like, listen to real life conversations of small micro changes that have massive impact. So mm-hmm. any, anything that we could story tell. Huh. I can give you an example of both. I think in my life, you know, the reason why I stand up for people or the reason why, yeah, the reason why I stand up for people is because people stand up for me. And I'm trying to think of an example where I feel like people have stood up for me. Um, It's countless. I just can't put my finger on it. But what I will say is that I've had, you know, educators. Actually, I can give you an example. It's more earlier in my life. And so at the school that I mentioned before, y'all, I was the only Black girl in the entire elementary school. And I had a wonderful principal. Her name was Miss Anna Puma. And this was a woman that was white, was in a position of power, and understood that this young Black girl who was very excited all the time, enthusiastic is what they used to call me, I was very loud, (laughs) was somebody who had the capability of greatness. This woman actually literally spoke life into me. And there were times when I noticed that there were teachers who were uncomfortable with how forward I was, or how much of like a boss I was essentially. And this woman would actually pull me aside into her principal's office and just encourage me and say, you know, Anna, you don't know this yet, but I'm I'm really convinced that you're going to become a leader one day and that you're going to be somebody who impacts a lot of people. And I kind of looked at her, I was like, you know, I just came in for the snacks. <laughs> 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 yeah, I came in, Miss Puma, but I hear you. Um, and I think her unshakable belief in my ability to succeed really inspired my parents to also believe that I could, could succeed at the level that she was imagining my success, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was incredibly serendipitous for um, the opportunity that I had to really speak to my high school class and then find out that she was in the crowd. And I remember when I saw her right after I got off stage, I cried like immediately from seeing her because it was sort of like this full circle moment of this woman who didn't know me when she first met me, but invested in me so much that, you know, her, the fruits of her investment essentially came to pass and, you know, are still coming to pass. And she was at my college graduation as well. And so that's somebody who I think has stood up for me in a significant way, especially as somebody who is non-Black, recognizing the excellence that resides in me and really cultivating that. And I think for me, what I've done Um, as someone who stands up for others is quite frankly, create the Sadie Collective, right? This idea of, you know, I have had that experience of being the only Black person, Black woman in particular, in this quantitative sciences, economics, finance, business policy space. And I looked at my friend and I said, hey, you are feeling the same way too. Like, why don't we just create a community? And she said, I'll do you one better. Let's make it an organization. And the Sadie Collective was born out of that. And that was really us saying, we're going to stand up for ourselves or we're going to stand up for our friends and our friends' friends to ensure that more Black women are entering these fields and are able to really facilitate the next generation 
um, ability to succeed in these fields in a way that makes real change, real lasting change. So yeah. So talk to me a little bit more. Explain, it's like, so you're going down like a a five floor elevator with somebody and somebody asks you, what is the Sadie Collective? What's your response? And then also how does somebody know that they qualify for it? Ooh, that's a great question. So the Sadie Collective is a community, specifically the only nonprofit organization that uniquely addresses sort of the underrepresentation of Black women in economics, finance, policy, and data science. And so we're the only organization that does this currently in the country, I would argue the world as well. And so in terms of who qualifies for it, we really are trying to be a community that centers Black women. And so essentially, most of our members are Black women, identify as such. Um, We do allow all genders, regardless to come into the community as well. Um, but there's larger communities within our community, right? So we have our black women and then we have our allies and then we have our recruiters who are part of our network. Um, but more importantly, we are also interested in cultivating the early part of the pipeline, as I mentioned before, the, the initial steps you need to take. And so that's really at the high school level. And at that level, we actually allow all underrepresented minority women to join the collective. So that's including Latinas, um, folks who are Black, of course, Native folks, and so forth, folks who identify with marginalized groups to come and join at the high school level. And then at the college and through professional level, we focus more so on Black women. So that's kind of what we do, roughly. (laughs) I love that. Okay, no, that's absolutely so imperative and important. And then when we actually segment down like who the Sadie Collective serves, I had read an article, Why Do Black Economists Matter? Oh, wow. You you just read all of it. (laughs) I'm telling you, when I say that I creep, like your girl, like a creep. And what you brought up was like so important. But for me, my job in this podcast is to connect the dots because somebody's like, number one, I, I don't even like econ. I don't even, I don't even pay attention. Right. So I have a host here and I'm like, no, no, no. She, Anna is a symbol. And if anybody who is listening and you happen to be sitting in a demo or in an industry where you happen to be the underrepresented, where you happen to not be equal opposition, where you walk into a room and you realize I'm the only person that looks or thinks or has my history. So when we talk about why do black economists matter, I want you to listen to the pathology. I want her to listen to like the root of it. So let's chat about why it matters. It matters because Black people are people who live in this world. And economics is a field that touches every aspect of our world. So if we don't have Black economists, essentially, we have an entire field that has power over how our world essentially unfolds that doesn't actually reflect our world. So when we're talking about economists as it stands, majority of them are white men. um, And white men are not the majority of the United States, let alone the world. And so the idea of having one group sort of holding all of the power, holding all of the cards, and then making the rules for the rest of us doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's why Black economists matter. Um, and there's a lot of like evidence that kind of shows that. I don't know if you guys remember the 2008 financial crisis. Basically, everybody was broke. Wall Street was on fire. It was a mess. It was really because a couple of white guys made some really horrible decisions. And now, in hindsight, a lot of economists look at it and say, hey, have we just had more diversity in the room. Maybe we wouldn't have even had a crisis to begin with. Mm-hmm. Maybe you wouldn't have because you would have noticed that black and brown communities were already suffering, you know, before everybody else decides to suffer as well due to the crisis. So again, you know, if you want to make the decisions on behalf of the world, you have to look like the world and currently economists don't. 
Mm. So what we hear is just like, this is rooted in fact, and it's, and it's laying a foundation for us. But for anybody who's listening and you feel or you sense that you are the first to do what it is that you do, regardless of the color of your skin, because you might be the only woman in a room or you might be the youngest in a room. You might be the only Christian in a room. You might be the only one thing of one thing in one room. And you might have to be the first to do what it is that you do. And here we have Anna saying it matters because diversity and thought and approach matter. It is a holistic. So if you end up being the first person to speak out, then speak out because other people are looking to you and you can work for them the way that Anna's opening doors for multiple people across. Okay, so did a little bit more research. I want to share and put a little bit of light on what is Black Birders Week? Hashtag Black Birders Week. Black Birders Week. So I don't know if y'all remember this, but sometime in the summer, it was around May or June, there was a huge viral incident that happened with somebody called Amy Cooper. It was a white woman who had a dog off her leash in Central Park, and she called the police on a black man who um, was saying, hey, put your dog back on the leash. And this is because that black man was a birder and understands the impact of you know, having just the, you know, animals running around when there's delicate animals around, basically birds. So essentially what I noticed was I was in a group chat called Black AF and STEM. I won't let you know what the F is, <laughs> but essentially um, that group chat had a number of different individuals who were birders, naturalists, explorers, and all of them were talking about how this incident with Christian Cooper, who was the, the Black man who was called on, it was not a unique experience. In fact, it happened to all of them at some point. And so kind of thinking about what had just happened with Ahmaud Arbery, I thought about, hey, what if we s- sort of reshifted the narrative to you all and celebrated Black birders, Black naturalists, and Black explorers for a day. And so a gentleman, Taiki James, who was one of the co-founders, said, how about we make it a week? And I said, give me just like 10 minutes. And so I went ahead and I drafted some events and people weighed in and essentially Black Birders Week was born. And so during Black Birders Week, we celebrated Black people in nature. We started off with that hashtag and then we just celebrated what it means to bird while Black. What does it mean to be in nature while while being a Black person? What does it mean to embrace nature as a Black person? And what was really interesting was just how viral it went. Uh, my mom was convinced it was going to be a global campaign. I didn't have the forethought. I was like, let's just get through the week. Um, but CNN covered it. BBC covered it. Um, a number of sort of national science and wildlife organizations got on board. The National Wildlife Federation actually after Black Birders Week ended, decided to develop a minority fellowship in honor of Black Birders Week. Get out. No, seriously, to ensure that more minorities enter sort of the natural, natural sciences and wildlife sciences. So again, we had such a big impact, which was really exciting. And what was even more exciting was what came after. So the success of Black Birders Week inspired a number of other Black individuals across all STEM fields to really embrace what it means to be Black and to be a scientist. And so you had Black in neuroscience, you had Black in chemistry. Recently, I was part of Black in mathematics. Currently, it's Black in data science week. And so it's sort of giving people an aspect of joy that allows them to say, hey, I'm Black. 
and I'm in this field and I love this field. And I know that it's usually abnormal for the individuals that I work alongside with, but I'm going to find community amongst the black people who are also as passionate as I am. And so that's sort of where black burners we came from. <laughs> Come on. Come on, your mom was out here like, that's what baby. Um, this is absolutely, absolutely incredible. And again, here I am just drawing like parlays for people who are listening because you might look at Anna and think like, well, that's her. Like she could do that. Right. And if you just listen to the origin of the story, it was give me 10 minutes, right? It's right. just like there is, there is an undercurrent that she tapped into and wherever you are, Whoever you are, you could tap into an undercurrent and you could speak up on behalf of other people that can self-identify in something bigger than just themselves. It requires Anna to step out of herself and focus on need. This is what we do as business owners. She happens to be doing yep. it and serving humans as a whole. But mm, okay, so I want to go back to one thing. It's not on my list of questions, but when you had mentioned sure. as part of the Sadie Collective Allies, like what does that look like? That's a great question. I'm still figuring that out, y'all. <laughs> Good. Oh my God, spill the tea. I want it. I like I want it now so that you know a year from now you can look back and be like, that was the least I knew about what we needed then. I think, you know, there's a difference between allyship and performative allyship. And so let me go ahead and delineate for y'all. Allyship is saying, you know, I have power as a person who is not marginalized, and I'm gonna use my power to uplift you, celebrate you, equip you, and empower you to be the very best version of yourself. And so we've definitely had individuals and organizations that say, we are gonna go on a limb for you to ensure that the Sadie Collective's conferences, any programming, all different facets are as successful as possible. A really great example is our longtime partner, the Urban Institute, which has hosted our conference this past year, is hosting our conference this upcoming year. They've been an incredible partner. They've done the work, they've been in the trenches with us and that has been, a wonderful experience. And then there's performative allyship. It's the kind of allyship that says, let me plaster Black Lives Matter as a hashtag in my bio and that actually be for Black people or try to erase Black people, right? And so you get this sense of people who want, who have the best of intentions, but don't ever deliver. Like that is for me, I'm all about results. So I will call you on that immediately. And so, you know, I will say this, we've had conversations as an organization, the Sadie Collective with different sort of entities that want to work with us. And, you know, one thing that my colleagues will say is that, Anna, when you enter that CEO mode, it is, it's like super saying you come in there and you slice it up because really what I do is I say, let's cut through all of it. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you can do period. If you can't do what we need you to do, this isn't going to work. And the reason I say that is because we're young black women. We don't have to be doing this right now. We're doing this because we were, we're putting our ego aside. We really want to serve our generation. We want to serve our friends and our community. Um, and so you as an organization that technically should have already had this figured out, you cannot come to me with left energy. I will call you on that immediately. You cannot say, oh, we're so excited about the work you're doing, but also we can't fund you. What does that mean? You are a multi-million dollar organization. Not saying that that's what we've been dealing with, but you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, you know, you have money, you have funds, you have resources. So for you to say that in your power, you cannot do a single thing is a lie. And mm -hmm. I will call you on it. And that's what I say is performative allyship. You can really see it as a veiled sort of 
you know, it looks nice, but it doesn't actually deliver. And that is something that I think is really important, especially for minority business owners and anybody who's looking to sort of partner with larger organizations, make sure that those organizations are for you. And one thing I want to mention really quick is that, you know, America has been going through a race reckoning for like, you know, several months. And unfortunately it had to be due to the accruement of black deaths that were unnecessary, right? George Floyd was one of hundreds of black people who were brutally killed by the police. And so I think in that sense, for that to be sort of the pivotal moment and people to say, oh, now I get it. I get racism. It's bad. It's like, okay, welcome to the 16th century. It's been bad for 400 years, but let's get <laughs> some, let's get some things on the agenda, right? You know, you asking me here to relive my trauma and then saying you can't give me money for the work that would ultimately serve your organization is ludicrous. Try again. And that's what I've literally said to organizations. And I don't think a lot of them expect a 24-year-old to talk to them like that. <laughs> so wait, what's the response though? The response is usually like, oh, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't, oh, we'll, we'll give back. Actually, you know, let's talk to our team. We'll get back to you. And they make adjustments as needed. And so, you know, we've been able to get opportunities because, you know, myself and other folks on my team have brought that energy to organizations in meetings and said, hey, you know, we know you guys can do more and we expect you to do more and we're going to hold you accountable to it. So deliver. And, you know, people have actually delivered, which is good. And if you haven't delivered, well, we're not talking then. I don't know what they're doing now. <laughs> mm, okay. But, okay. So we're talking about like organizations, but what if there is a person who's listening? Like, let's just say there's like a white girl who's listening and she has a business that is focused in math and science. Like she's not an organization that could drop six or seven figures in supporting the Sadie Collective. Are you looking for allies in that capacity? And is it that opportunity available or is there a different pathway to support y'all? That's a great question. I think that there's a spectrum of support, right? Obviously from the you know large organizations to just the individual. And again, it comes back to what I said earlier in the podcast, which is about empowering your community, right? So the Sadie Collective is something that resonates with you. One thing to think about is maybe doing a monthly donation, right? It's very easy to say, I'm going to give $50 a day. I'm done. That's what people are like. Oh, you know, that's a matching campaign. I'm good. I would challenge you to do a monthly or, you know, contribution, right? And, and say, I'm actually going to invest in how this organization plays out. I want to be a part of its mission. I want to be a part of executing its vision. And then I think, you know, if you're um, an influencer or a business owner or whatever, and you have sort of some level of social media following or a community that you are engaged with, let the people in your community know, like, hey, I'm supporting this initiative. You should too. And I want to hold you accountable to that. Mm. Maybe what it looks like is, you know, one thing I saw recently was when the Sadie Collective was getting a lot of attention right after sort of, unfortunately, George Floyd's um, death and all the protests that followed, you know, we saw people do like a huge matching campaign unbeknownst to us, right? People were just matching each other's donations and donating to the Sadie Collective. That's what we talk about when we say you're an individual and you can actually precipitate change, right? This idea of, I want to do something. I think you should do it because it's a good thing. And we can just kind of keep that going. Um, that's sort of what I think individuals can definitely do. And then of course, there's a spectrum of that. If you have a social media following, promote. Promote mm. Black-owned initiatives, promote Black women-led initiatives, especially. Black women have been the backbone of the world 
period. Mm. <laughs> you know, right? This idea of Black women sort of being at the forefront of justice and what does it mean to have an equitable world and actually mean it. You know, this is what Black women have been doing for a long time, amplifying Black women, empowering Black women, equipping Black women, using your privilege to make sure that Black women get to where they deserve to be. This is what we ask. This is what we deserve, right? And so I think as an individual, you can do that. As an organization, you can do that. Anywhere in that spectrum, you can also do that. Again, it's just about making sure that you understand that you got to put your ego aside and really serve the common good here. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I feel like <laughs> if if Mrs. Puma will hear this podcast, you're going to make her proud all over again. Um, okay. So I don't know about you. And maybe this is not the case. So if it's not, don't speak anything that ain't true. But sometimes I feel like sometimes I speak and I stand and I embody a, a version. You know how Beyonce, she has Sasha Fierce and then there's Beyonce, right? I feel like sometimes, and I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast, is like, I feel like the version people see is Jasmine Starr, but like who I am is Jazz, you know, it's Jasmine. And I feel like I hear and I sense like this strong and a gifty. What about Anna? Like what, what have you learned about yourself through this? Because we see, I'm looking at a strong woman who's just like, you could make me do something. You could move me into action. And the weight is beautiful. It's also a burden, but like to those who are called to do big things, you have to make big sacrifices. And so I see that, but what if you, what has Anna learned about Anna? This is a good question. And again, shout out to my mentor, Lena Amate, um, who's on Instagram, by the way, who actually, you know, when we were talking about this earlier in the year was like, I really want to just see you in an interview where you're just answering this question. Who are you? And why should people care about you as a person? Who is Anna? Anna is antisocial, surprisingly. <laughs> I like to keep to myself nowadays. Um, Cause I'm going through a season right now where I'm, I'm somebody who really loves the words of Brene Brown. I think she's an exceptional scholar, but also orator. She's somebody who's able to really tell stories through her, her speeches and stuff. And one thing that I really love about her work is that she talks about the importance of vulnerability and, and how it's actually more strength than weakness. And I'm somebody who struggles with being vulnerable. And it's really because it's more like a defense mechanism. When I've been vulnerable in the past, I've been hurt. Now that's what vulnerability allows, right? right. Um, but I'm, I'm somebody who doesn't like to be hurt. <laughs> you know, I like to be somebody who kind of operates on results. I know exactly what I'm getting. Um, and so there's been that element of trying to find ways to be more vulnerable. Um, and that's been difficult. You know, I've been trying to do it with my friends. I've been trying to do it with my family. And therapy has been really helpful in sort of helping me kind of break down those barriers and kind of the reasons behind why, you know, I might not feel comfortable opening up to people as much anymore. And then I think the other element of it too is faith. Um, so a lot of people don't know this, but I am a daughter of a pastor. <laughs> my dad's a pastor. And I grew up in the church. And um, I think for me, faith has been really foundational. And there's certain areas of my life that I allow faith to work. I would say my career is a place where, you know, God let me hit rock bottom in some sense my freshman year and kind of decimating my ego. <laughs> it was like, I'm going to build you back up if you allow me to. And I had to trust him, right? The decision to major in math made no sense to my parents, made no sense to my community. 
made no sense to me. But God was like, I promise you, if you made the decision, you're going to, you're going to be so happy you did. And here I am today talking with you. Right. But for me, faith, there's other aspects of my life that I don't allow faith to work. Right. You know, I don't allow, allow faith to work in my relationships and I don't allow faith to work sometimes even with my own confidence. Right. I think sometimes people assume that I'm more confident than I am. I am still a 24 year old recent college graduate. I am still a black girl. Right. And I'm still trying to figure things out. I've never claimed to be an expert, though people will put that label on me. And, you know, I deal with people sometimes who are uncomfortable with where I'm at right now because of how young I am, because of how Black I am, because of the fact that I'm a woman, um, you know, even the fact that I'm a Christian, right? You know, all of these things kind of working in tandem and somehow, some way, this girl is having all these opportunities thrown at her. What What is she doing that's different? What what am I not doing? Or, you know, I feel bitter towards her. I feel angry or, you know, annoyed with the fact that she's getting these opportunities and grappling with that too. Cause that's also like, that also sucks, quite frankly, you know, especially as people you admire or people you think that would be happy for you and they're not. Um, and so again, I think I've found a lot of strength in core, core people, people who keep you grounded, people who call you out, I think without those people, my head would be really big right now, quite frankly, <laughs> you know, um, those people keep me very humble. My, you know, my mom busting in my room every so often reminds me that I'm still a kid and, um, <laughs> you know, this is, this is still a pandemic. <laughs> um, but I think that's who I am as a person. I'm somebody who, you know, when, when you kind of peel back the, the gravitas and the followers and all of that, I'm really somebody who is very introspective. I spend a lot of time thinking. Um, I feel very deeply, which is why I don't like to feel, you know, mm. does that make sense? Like, it's really hard for me to get vulnerable because I know that I'll feel very deeply about something. And I think that's also why I can move people in the way that you just described. When I feel deeply about something, I the, the conviction kind of emanates from my skin. Like, I'm just like, you have to be convicted about this because I'm also convicted about this. And you, you have, you, you either have to disagree or agree. I don't even give you like the option of maybe I agree, maybe I don't. And I'm also somebody who's really open to dialogue too. I think a lot of times people might look at me and say, well, Anna has a strong opinion about this. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm open to dialogue as long as you're not being harmful, you know? And uh, oftentimes you might find me on Twitter. Y'all follow me on Twitter. It's Afronomics. Um, <laughs> I, I reply to people. I reply to people I don't know. I'm just like, yeah, I agree with that. Oh, oh, that's hilarious, you know? And I think to some degree, people like that too. It's kind of like, oh, she's not like this person who is bigger than life. She's a human being and, um, you know, she's somebody who's still figuring things out and just trying to learn like the rest of us. I just so happen to have a platform that, you know, I'm grateful to God for. And that's kind of how I'm navigating life right now as a 24 year old. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. So I think you just blew, I think you blew some minds. Like when people are like, Oh my gosh, she's 24 years old. Oh. You know what I hear through that? Cause I know I put you on the spot and you know, you oh, didn't yeah, get any of these so questions fun. before, but like what I hear is somebody who's broken and open. And I realize, like what I hear so cleanly from what you had said is that you're like, uh, a person in search of something bigger and in the process, you're allowing yourself the permission to feel in ways that make you uncomfortable. And I think that in this conversation, you're allowing myself and many listeners to listen and then just sit in the uncomfortability. 
And so I want to say thank you for showing up. You showed, you showed up truly vulnerable today. And because of your vulnerability, you empowered me to sit in conversations and admissions that I probably would not have ever said on the outside, but I'm committed. I'm committed to learning how to be a better ally. I'm learning how to use my platforms. And I want to say thank you for sharing that and empowering others to do the same. Thank you so much. That is such a nice thing to say. Thank you. <laughs> You're a gift. How can people find you? How can they find the Sadie Collective? How do we show up in, in finding y'all online? Yeah. So, you know, if you're interested in learning more about the Sadie Collective, we're literally called sadiecollective.org. Um, and so you can just sort of look us up. Um, we're also on Wikipedia, Twitter, everything that you could think of. Um, so that's a nut, like a quick way to find us about sort of what we do and what we're about. Um, and then I would say in terms of my own journey, I'm very, very active on Twitter. So um, it's Afronomics, that's A-F-R-O-N-O-M-I-C-S. <laughs> and then this it's is in front of that. Um, and then I'm also active on Instagram. I actually deactivated temporarily. I'm gonna reactivate <laughs> before this comes out. <laughs> gift the O. Um, so that's just my name with O at the end. Um, yeah, that those are two ways to interact with me. I'm always happy to answer questions or mm. sort of be available if you have any concerns. But again, I'm just very grateful for this platform. Jasmine, thank you so much for just giving me the space to talk a very, very honestly and candidly about my experience and also hear from you and, and engage with your listeners. So thank mm. you so much. You're the best. You are a light in the world. Thank you for shining bright. Don't ever dim it. I appreciate you. Have a good one. Thanks, babe. Thank you so much. Y'all, how incredible is Anna? I have loved to get to know her and see the amazing things she's doing in the world. And I hope you did too. Before I let you go, if you love listening to the Jasmine Star Show, and if I have ever given you any value in your business journey, girlfriend, boyfriend, saint, ain't, I would love if you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a single episode. It is a one click to subscribe. So let's make it happen. Get your finger, hover it over the subscribe button, tap that. Leave a little love because I love connecting with you. I will see you in a future episode soon. <laughs>